Greetings, ladies and metalgents, and welcome to this latest rendition of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. Now, on to the science fiction. Story number one. Metal Cylinders to Fix the Scorched Earth, Part of the Burt Verse, written by Darth Hath Depression. The Empire had taken everything, the entire harvest, all the young men, the metal of the farming equipment. They had ruined everything. They then tore up the earth with magic, burned down the houses, slaughtered whatever animal they could not take with them, and poured mud and waste into the well. We had no supplies to get us to the new village, and all the other villagers had likely suffered the same fate. We were abandoned and left to starve. The kingdom was under attack from invaders that they had provoked, I had seen this village prosper from a small farmer's hut to a quaint little farming community. In my time, I had seen over a hundred children born and seen thirty men and women die of old age. I had been through every blight and drought cast upon us, watched as we struggled together to make this land ours. And just like that, soldiers of our own nation swooped in and stamped out our way of life. Of course, it wasn't their fault, but simply the orders given by their superiors. I could remember my time in the Grand Army, how fellow magicless were treated if they dared act or even spoke against the wishes of our magic-using masters. If any of them showed any mercy or stopped for even a second, they would be burnt on the spot. Of course, some of them acted with glee, the usual grunts who would jump at the chance to act in such a way. But it didn't matter. The damage was already done. And so the soldiers moved on, leaving our little patch of burnt land to be dealt with by the invaders. And so the Who Men's came. We were all huddled in the remaining houses. With such little sleep due to the cramped conditions, it was pitifully easy to hear them coming. A continuous, unnatural growling, the clinking of heavy metal. They made no effort to hide their arrival. Why would they? This was probably not the first village that they had come across. It didn't matter if the inhabitants fled. They wouldn't last long in the wilderness, and the ones that stayed would be slaughtered before they could make trouble. Not that we could anyway. All of our farming equipment was destroyed or taken, and so we all gathered in what was left of the village center, watching as the soldiers arrived. And let me tell you, what a sight that was. First came the beast of steel, about the size of a wyvern. Its body was boxy and angular, and it crawled on metal wheels that were all connected by flat metal chain. There weren't any animals pulling it, so we assumed it was moved by magic. What else could push something like that? On top of it was a stout bulge, perfectly angular like the body, except for a long metal pole pointing out of it. We had heard that the human weapons were somewhat pole-like, 
and could spit fire at any who opposed them, so it only made sense for this to be a much larger version of them, maybe to crush what was left of our houses, much like the Empire had. You should have seen our faces when the whole top part swung from side to side, as if surveying what was left of the village. Maybe it was something like those golems. This thought was quickly vanquished when a creature popped their head out the top of it. Ah, I thought, it must be a magical vehicle then. Then came what looked like a wagon pulled up near the rear of the beast. When I say like a wagon, I mean it barely qualified as one. It was much longer and taller than a wagon. It had a large, rimmed wheels and a metal box where the ones driving it sat behind a whole pane of glass. Using glass in a wagon? Ridiculous! It was surely much too fragile to be used as anything other than decorations for the wealthy lords to adorn their halls. What was just as strange was their lack of any animals. They moved on their own as if they were alive. Sure, using magic to move a weapon like that steel beast made sense, but a mere wagon such as that one... The opposing army must have been insane. These wagons pulled up in quadruplet, followed by smaller yet similar self-propelled wagons, ones that were more boxy and lacked canvas covers in favor of hard ones made out of what seemed like metal or wood. And much like its larger counterparts, its riders sat behind glass panes. As they arrived, men dressed in green flooded out the back of these strange vehicles. They encircled us, pointing their poles at us as if ready to spit death at a moment's notice, while others swept through the ruins, searching every nook and cranny for anyone else. When they came back, satisfied that we were hiding no one of interest, they returned to their leaders. As we stood and waited, I was able to get a good look at them. They wore a green helmet covered in cloth, wore green cloth clothes without any apparent armor or chainmail, and a set of shiny black boots and black leather gloves. They had no wings, and we could see that the ears of those not wearing helmets were strangely browned instead of pointed. Suddenly, they all lowered their weapons. We watched as they parted for another of their kind, wearing a black cap that sloped to the one side, and a fellow Fay wearing the same uniform as them. He addressed all of us, speaking about how some of their scouts had seen what the kingdom had done to us, and that they were here to help, that they had brought food and medicine. Of course, a few of us spoke out against this. Hey, trick, they cried completely denying the legitimacy of this claim. Traitor! they shouted. Why, if these attackers hadn't come, the Empire would have left us alone. If they had the power to drive back the Grand Army, there is no reason why they wouldn't just end us now if they wished. I cried. I had seen what the Empire had done to anyone who so much as resisted and I had no plans of seeing what these newcomers would do to us. Seeing that I had influence over the others, the Fay asked me to follow him, where he led me to one of the larger wagons. He talked about how the humans had brought enough food to last us until it was harvest season. 
That must be about a quarter of a year. There's no way any food can last that long. It must have been a trick. He showed me what was inside what he called trucks. Dozens of brown boxes were neatly stacked on the inside. Food and medicine. At least enough to lay the village for a while before we need to bring more. They were planning on bringing more. Maybe they really did have something malicious planned for us. He then took me to a few of the tents the humans had set up. Underneath one was a completely metal kitchen. There I watched as humans work. They took out a brown box, opened it and pulled out a small metal cylinder. They then peeled the top off and poured what seemed like fresh chopped carrots. They opened another and poured in chunks of meat again and again. They filled these pots with the contents of these metal cylinders until I was given the result. A bowl of stew. Everyone in the village was given one, as well as a cup to drink water from. They pitched tents for us to sleep in as families, gave us three meals a day and a clean source of water. Their doctors tended to our wounds. I had never seen so many healthy children, and they fixed the land with their steel beasts. I watched as one of these steel monsters with a flat piece of metal on its front pushed the mound of dirt the wizards had made in an effort to prevent the land from being farmed. What would have taken us a day, even if we had our tools, was finished in mere hours. It did this for every field that we would normally sow with seeds. I asked the fae who accompanied them why they gave us so much, why they had done so much for us. They have a set of laws for war, in which states that those who are not part of the hostilities be protected, he replied. That day, I never looked back on the Empire, only forward to a good harvest. End of story. Story number two. He who controls the orbitals, written by Magda Jord. Forward from report on human colony on Gemini 4 by Admiral Nuttigan. Shortly after my arrival on Gemini 4, I was invited by my counterpart in the human military to tour their planetary defenses. I, perforce, agreed, and arrangements were made for me to be collected from my hotel the following morning. After my collection, I was surprised to find myself transported not to the spaceport, but to the military compound some distance outside the capital. At first I thought that there had been a translation error, and instead of a tour, I would instead be reviewing the defenses from the command center, but my guide instead directed my attention to a large installation. After a moment's thought, I recognized it as a capital-grade beam emplacement. I asked why such a defense had been constructed on the planetary surface rather than in space where it belonged. Had he explained that, by eliminating orbital launch and construction costs, at least ten times as many weapons could be built for the same increment of cost. In the interests of diplomacy, I refrained from pointing out that, due to atmospheric diffusion, such weapons would be considerably less than one-tenth as effective, unless the enemy was in a few planetary radii. Note, the human numerical system is base 10, so this should be assumed to be no more than a first-order estimate. My tour of this facility continued, and it became clear that this compound, 
but one of several gross similar facilities about the world, my guide explained, could deliver the firepower of a dozen dreadnoughts. If only there were any hope that the enemy would wander into this myopic range before the battle was definitively decided. It was not until later that I began to comprehend the truth. I inquired about the number of smaller emplacements, obviously too light to be useful against starships, which I could see about the facility, and was told that they were indeed to engage landing craft, a human term which my translator chose to render as landing craft. My confusion was such that I ignored the dictates of diplomacy and pressed my guide for an elaboration. Surely there was not sufficient criminal activity on this world as to demand dedicated weapons simply for the purpose of destroying vessels attempting illegal landings. After a brief consultation with my translator, the guide was able to explain. Landing craft, while literally translated as craft engaged in landing, is also a human military term of art for a category of small vessels intended to forcibly land a cargo of warriors on an enemy world while being fired upon by the inhabitants thereof. It was then that I began to realize the horrible implications, the same implications I'm sure are beginning to occur to you. The remainder of our tour confirmed them beyond a doubt, Armories stocked by the gross of the human equivalent of militarized versions of police long arms, ground vehicles covered within thin layers of armor and armed with miniaturized ship weapons. Entire crews of military personnel trained exclusively to engage enemies in person on the ground. It is my conclusion that war against humanity would be fruitless and costly and should therefore absolutely be avoided. If it should prove necessary, it is my recommendation that strategic planetary targets be bombarded from high orbit as soon as space supremacy is achieved, and under no circumstances should we take or hold human worlds, for it is clear that, somehow, humans are ignorant of the fundamental theory of warfare. They will not surrender a planet if they lose the battle for the space above it. They will fight to the death against any conquest or invasion, and the cost of dislodging them is either ruinous expense or ruinous damage to the very world that you wish to conquer. He who controls the orbitals, controls the orbitals. If he wants the planet, let him damn well come down here and take it. General Bull Buck Cooper, Earth Forces Command. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.